Welcome. This is the Woodbury Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We're glad that you tuned in. We had a few audio difficulties with today's sermon, so you may have to turn the volume up a little bit to hear clearly. We'll get it fixed and have it ready to go next time. And if you'd like to know more about our church, you can find out all the information at woodburychurch.org. Or we'll see you some Sunday, Sundays at 10 a.m. Looking forward to it. We have some very challenging statements from Jesus this morning. And so we're talking about mental health and you may feel a little anxious this morning about what I'm saying. <laughs> so uh, hang on to the end and it'll get better, I believe. We are in the midst of a sermon series on mental health entitled, The Struggle is Real. And I don't know, uh, someone probably knows, but I don't know if mental health issues and struggles are worse now than they have been throughout the centuries. Uh, I think we have more awareness of them in some ways. Uh, but either way, what we do know is that struggles are real, <clears throat> and many, many people struggle with them mightily. And in this sermon series, we're simply trying to acknowledge those struggles and try and offer some help and address them. This morning we are going to talk about forgiveness, uh, and it is just all through Scripture is one of the reasons uh, I selected. I, we, we, uh, we came up with different topics, and this is one I just thought uh, we needed to talk about. Uh, forgiveness may not sound like it's particularly related to mental health. Uh, in your Bibles, you know, you have people that have put topic sections, you know, titles above a paragraph and stuff. Uh, now, there may be some Bible out there now. There's a thousand about different topics, so who, who knows? I just have, it's not in mine, where it says uh, Jesus' discussion about mental health and, uh, or David's discussion, you know, thoughts on mental health uh, or Paul's and so forth and so on. But the Bible, so the Bible doesn't directly make these kind of claims about ways that, uh, not much that I could think of, in which... Uh, it, it describes the ways and manner in which forgiving helps you. That seems kind of odd, really. There's just not a lot about that. Jesus' emphasis is on how our forgiveness for others affects the forgiveness received from God and just kind of leaves it there, <laughs> which seems, I think, rather unusual in our world. However, when we consider the root causes of sins like bitterness and hatred and envy and revenge, we just, I think it's just implied and known that there is a sense in which an unforgiving heart lies underneath. I'm going to begin with a parable this morning that Jesus taught from Matthew chapter 18. Jesus had just spoken about the way we should address sins that are within our community. What's the strategy? How should those be addressed? So Peter uh, frequently comes up with a question or an action or something sort of almost like, a, you know, he's the leader or else the impulsive one. <laughs> And so I think Peter comes up with a great question. Uh, and sometimes he, 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 we have to give him credit. He really comes up with some great questions. So discussion, Jesus talking about how do you handle sins with one another, basically go to people and talk to them about it first and work through all that sort of stuff. And then Peter came to Jesus and asked, 
How many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Isn't that a great question? I just think that's a phenomenal question. And then uh, I'm, I'm reading into it, but I'm sort of suspecting he's thinking, I'm going to really put out a good possibility here. I'm going to go the, you know, not three times. You know, I'm going to say seven. Who could imagine that? Seven times. He says, up to seven. And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seven times seventy. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, all these servants out there, uh, he began the settlement. There was a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. Now that, in our mind, I mean, it just sounds alike a lot. Uh, with my calculations, it is 165,000 years of wages. Most of us won't live that long. How many generations would that be? I didn't even figure that out. 165,000 years. Well, that'd be impossible, wouldn't it, of wages. So, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him be patient with me. I mean, how much patience would that take? I mean, there, there, there's no repaying this. It's ridiculous. You know, be patient with me like, you know, that's possible. He begged. And I will pay back everything. Well, uh, you know, this, this uh, king is not going to believe that. But the servant's master took pity on him. And he canceled the debt. And he let him go. And his children and his wife. Can you imagine how the other servants heard about that? How ridiculous. We sang a song about that this morning. About this reckless love of God. Why, here's a master that's just reckless. And can you imagine how that story went out into the villages and people heard it and just astounded at the grace of the master? Second part of the story. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. That's about three months' wages. Quite a bit, but doable. Possibly, you know, especially if you get your friends or relatives to chip in and all that's doable. He grabbed his fellow servant and began to choke him and said, pay back what you owe me. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, same words, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. That's what they did. Can you imagine? How, how are you going to pay back a debt if you and yours are in prison? 
Well, you'd have to have relatives and friends that would pay because you can't earn anything in prison, right? I mean, you're just in there forever until somebody else helps, if they kept, if they could help. Now, the message goes out in the village. You can imagine this one, too, filtering out what's happened. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. Just this sense of injustice. How could this be? And they went and told their master everything that had happened. And the master called the servants in and he said, You wicked, wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. You begged me. Not because there was any realistic possibility of repayment. Shouldn't then you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed over the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all they owe. Think of that, being tortured until you could pay back. And then Jesus says, it's such a stern parable. Jesus says to his disciples, Peter and the rest of you, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Wow. I, uh, if I would have been a disciple, I would have just been numb. I am numb. I just think there would have been silence after that. Left them to think about it. Sometimes we think of the hard sayings in the Bible as the ones that are doctrinal. There are difficult doctrinal statements in the Scriptures, but I would suggest some of the hardest ones are the ones that are difficult to live, that call us to live differently. I think the hardest thing may be the second greatest commandment, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. I'm thinking, uh, neighbor? Jesus may not have known or not known or wouldn't know or couldn't see in the future. My neighbors. Got some crazy stories about that, but not enough time for that. Jesus must be talking about the good neighbors he had in Nazareth and Capernaum, who they shared potluck with after Sabbath ended at the synagogue. That must be who he means. The second hardest may be forgive from your heart. That I wish, I wish, you know, there's a part of me that wishes Jesus would have just left that part off. That's troubling. On the, forgiven, on the surface, forgiveness sounds nice, doesn't it? I, it just sounds nice. It sounds sweet. It's, it's something children ought to do. And uh, you ought to have 50 plaques in your house saying about verses about forgiveness on your mirrors and just everywhere, you know, above the sink and everywhere. Uh, some of you actually impress me as people who forgive rather easily. Or will you fake it well? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I, you know, some of you just seem like forgiving people. I don't understand you, but 
Uh, but this forgiveness from the heart, that sounds complete, doesn't it? Totally. And some of us do not forgive easily. Think of the things you find hard to forgive or have found hard to forgive. Or you ever thought, you know, you hear something on the news and you think, I don't think I could ever forgive that. Example, if someone hurts us, you know, especially our family or children, is it not easy to forgive? Have you ever seen, you know, you've seen it on the news or maybe you've seen it in person sitting up in the stands, some parent goes nuts. Why? Because their coach or a ref has treated their child or their team unfairly, right? I mean, it's, they just go crazy. But the basic teaching from Jesus is that we will be forgiven as we forgive others. I thought maybe just about ending the sermon here and just let us leave and reflect on that. But we've got 20 minutes left. Did somebody say good? Oh, come see me later, whoever. Oh, wait, I got to forgive them, don't I? But then I could say I forgive them. Okay, well, not to get down the road here too far. But I do want to talk about practical challenges I want us to consider. There are things at the, what I call the gut level uh, that, that forgiveness seems at odds with. One is a sense of justice. There is something about forgiveness that just doesn't seem right. It can go against the grain of just retribution. Justice attempts to make things right. That makes sense. Makes sense to me. But forgiveness has to do with forgiving, foregoing, foregoing justice, or obtaining justice other than the normal way. That can rub us the wrong way. What if a sentence seems inadequate to the crime? We've seen that sort of thing. Or a sentence is minimized or dropped for various kind of reasons. Isn't there a sense of outrage in it? We hear a lot about getting justice these days, particularly for violent crimes. I've thought about this a lot. If my child was murdered, I don't think life in prison for the murderer would give me much peace. I don't know as the death penalty would bring contentment. I don't even know if an execution, and here's where you may think really badly of me, on the magnitude of Braveheart, for those of you who saw the ending of the movie, I don't know if that would satisfy me. Because no justice on this earth will bring a loved one back to life. And that's what we want, isn't it? We want resurrection now. We want them back now. So for me, talking about forgiveness can seem too easy, unless it's forgiveness for me or mine. Secondly, it's a challenge. All this forgiveness is difficult, uh, whether forgiveness benefits the foreigner or not foreigner, forgiver. <laughs> uh, so I, I like to have some, you know, 
things up to put on. And so I, I go on Google, look up images, all this kind of stuff. And there, there's also clever sayings about forgiveness. And uh, one of them is that uh, forgiveness is not really for the other person, but for you. And I'm thinking, well, whatever. I'm not buying that psychological manipulative dribble and it's not going on my mirror. We likely want the transgressor to not only acknowledge our pain, but experience our pain. Is there any amens there other than shorter sermons? Okay. So, <laughs> I'm trying to work the crowd here and it's just not working. Otherwise, we may feel that they are getting away with what they did with no consequences, which is never true. No one gets away with anything unless they're forgiven from God and they move on and that sort of thing. The reason it is not easy to forgive is because forgiveness means the counts aren't settled. The ledgers are not clear. It means we relinquish our rights to get our pound of flesh. Forgiveness can be painful because it requires us to destroy our ledger of hurt that requires a death to self, which can feel like very death itself. All this is to say that it is not easy for some of us to forgive even the slightest slight or insignificant insults. And certain personalities, and you figured out one of them, who love rules and laws or those who have grown up in families in which they've had a, they, their revenge is entrenched have a difficult time letting go. And they may have not seen great examples of people forgiving others. But forgiveness is essential if we want to be forgiven. Now I want to, I want to take some qualifications here that uh, I hope will be helpful. So challenging, and now I hope some comforting. Forgiving doesn't mean forgetting. Sometimes it's been said, I guess on one of these things on Google, if you haven't forgotten, you haven't forgiven. That is not true. That is not true. Paul remembered a metal worker that had done him much harm and told Christians, you watch out for this guy. <laughs> you watch out for him. I'm assuming Paul had forgiven him, but, you know, he, he was wary. Jesus was wary of the opposition and frequently avoided direct confrontation with those who would kill him. And on a practical level, it would just be naive and dangerous to forget what some people have done. Secondly, forgiving doesn't equal or require trust. There's two, I, my way of thinking about it, there are two uh, bases for trust. First of all, trust is given and trust then is rooted in grace. We choose to trust and sometimes against the clear evidence that we should trust. I thought about this a lot too. If I were a rich man, I would uh, find a 1967 Ford Mustang. 
and then I would have it fixed and painted winter green, dark winter green, and black interior. It'd just be awesome. It comes, it, I'm very sentimental about these cars. Because <laughs> I wanted one, but I got my grandmother's Galaxy 500, <laughs> which some of you don't even know what that means. It's this big sedan that has a small engine in it and struggles to get up to 60 miles an hour. So you have to allow a lot of room to pass people. But it worked, anyway. Now, if my teenager, 16-year-old, took it out of the garage without my permission, you know, took off the, uh, you know, the cover on it, because it would have a cover on it for sure, and drove it and wrecked it, and then I spent 20000 on it, got it fixed, and then immediately gave them the keys and said, here you go, take a spin. That's, that's trust based on grace, isn't it? <laughs> but trust can also be earned, and it's rooted in wisdom. But my inclination with my Mustang would probably be uh, that, that after I paid 20000 plus to get the car fixed, then the child would need to take five safe driving courses. And then have 25 years of accident-free driving <laughs> with my winter rusty car. You know what that is? Some of you have that car. And then when they turn 40, and I don't care about being cool because I'm, you know, don't even know what that means anymore. I would just want a E SUV with AC and heated seats and winter green. But that's earned. That's earned. Both approaches are valid, but God measures in grace. Still, generally, uh, grace or forgiveness is not our default mode. And I, I wanted to, uh, I'm going to clip through these kind of quickly. They could all be unpacked a lot more. That uh, things I've wrestled with from Scripture and my own experience about. Uh, perspectives about it. First of all, I think uh, Jesus' words, and just read through the Sermon on the Mount, are more prophetic than legal. In other words, they're more ch to challenge us than a legal code. Jesus frequently uses hyperbole and exaggeration to drive home a point and implant it in our memory. So I would take the Seven times 70, not as like, okay, we got to forgive 490 times now. No, that's missing the point. It's completely, you have to forgive completely, 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 forever. This does not diminish the seriousness of Jesus' words, but it places more in the realm of challenge than law in which every infraction leads to condemnation. On a practical level, I hope Jesus' words are not a statement of legal code, or I have no hope. Because there are some people it has taken me months or years to forgive. And what would have happened if I would have hit, hit the ice, hit a telephone pole, and been killed when I wasn't completely forgiven? Would I have been lost? Well, I don't think so. 
My hope and desire is that effort to forgive counts for a, law, a lot, faltering though we be. So I have to throw myself on the forgiveness of God for my imperfect forgiveness. And then I just want to talk about some steps. These may surprise you. First of all, when people have hurt me, I make a decision, no revenge. <laughs> I mean, that sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? You may think, how shallow is this guy? <laughs> well, of course not physically, but I mean verbally or daydreaming about it. That, that's a harder one. but. I will clasp my hands, metaphorically, behind my back to take any more blows. I will turn the other cheek, I will bite my tongue, I will give judgment into God's hands, knowing He knows best how to deal with people. Secondly, I will slowly begin to pray for people for what is best for them and their salvation. And then third, I will remember how God has forgiven the hurtful, mean, inconsiderate, selfish, petty, thoughtless words I have spoken and unkind deeds I have done. Paul said, forgive each other, just as Christ has forgiven you. There's just something about looking at ourselves at the same time we look at Jesus on the cross that just bleeds off revenge and hatred. It really does. And then fourth, I will remember that temptation and sin are mighty forces in our world. It is just, it's not just that people are stupid and mean and selfish, but all of us have brokenness, I'm telling you, that drive things for people, that makes us vulnerable to the devil's schemes. Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Well, of course they knew on one level what they were doing. Of course they did. But they didn't realize the implications. They thought they were advocating for the punishment of a fool, who had disappointed them. But really they were asking for the death of their Savior. This to me is, is so helpful because I've realized that many times people who have hurt me have had little idea of the consequences of their actions and words. They often were acting out of their own needs and brokenness. And then fifth, I continually ask for God's help in forgiving others. I've frequently done this during the Lord's Supper, which may seem strange to ask God to help you while you yourself are asking for forgiveness, but I do, and it's very helpful. It often takes time, but I've noticed a gradual change in me, a gradual letting go. Now, what does this all have to do with mental health? I think it's a, there's a serendipity here. <laughs> if there's just a blessing here that comes, like so many things when we obey the Lord, to our surprise, we are released from a prison cell of bitterness, hatred, remorse, and regret. And we become a more gracious person. Isn't that what we want to be? And commitment, contentment, and peace come to that. I've also had another surprise. I've noticed how others respond to gifts of grace and forgiveness. I've literally 
seen the expression on people's I've seen the expression on people's face change as they hear words of grace from me. Have you ever been in the presence of a gracious person? It's it's healing. Have you ever been in extended grace? People love to be with Jesus. They would walk miles and miles and go without food to be near him to hear words of forgiveness. Sure, some wanted food, some wanted a military leader, but others came to hear and rehear about the Lord of the universe, who was this merciful Heavenly Father and His Son, who were instituting a new kingdom that was totally different than the cruel and competitive kingdoms they knew. We don't have, I mentioned before, we don't have headers in our Bible titled titled, uh, Scriptures on Mental Health. It, It just isn't framed that way. But the implications of gentleness and kindness and love and forgiveness are everywhere in the Bible. Reread Jesus' words, read the New Testament letters, read the Psalms, read the whole Bible and see if what troubles our souls and affects our relationships isn't everywhere. Jesus spoke to matters that most bother us and hurt others. In fact, it would be strange if he didn't. I'm going to leave you, last of all, with a folk tale this morning and uh, without comment. But it is a very human story. A long time ago, but after the printing press, a father and a son had a bitter disagreement and falling out. Harsh words were spoken. And the father told the son to leave the house and never come back. Many years later, after no contact, the father aged and mellowed. He longed to see his son. He put an ad in the newspaper of a distant city. It simply said, Pablo, all is forgiven. I would like to see you. If you would like to see me, please meet me in the city square at noon next Friday. The father traveled to the city, went to the city square at noon, and to his astonishment found a thousand Pablos waiting to see their father.